Welcome back, everyone, to the Payoff Podcast. I'm Will Foley. Matt Press here. And Matt Seabree. Indiana Daily Student. Indiana women's basketball. Still number two in the country. And they are now 24-1. and one. Last time we talked, we were anticipating a huge matchup against then number five Iowa. And we neglected to talk about the matchup against Number thirteen, Ohio State. Little, little, uh, not the best looking at the schedule there by us. But um, well, we also were planning on. It's not our fault. It isn't our fault, and it didn't matter anyways. Indiana won both of those games, <laughs> so we can start with the Iowa game. Yep, number five Iowa, number two Indiana. That was an all-time Indiana attendance record, not regular season. Any game thirteen. 1,046, I want to say off the top of my head. Got there hour and a half early, circled for parking for about 25 minutes. So that should tell you how anticipated that game was. And I think it lived up to the hype, would you say? Agreed. 87-78, Indiana took that game home. 50 combined points for Grace Berger and Mackenzie Holmes. 26 for Berger, 24 for Holmes. And really the main story outside of Caitlin Clark, which we'll touch on way more, was I think Mackenzie Holmes and Monica Sonano down low. Mackenzie Holmes dominated the matchup, holding Sonano to just six points, and Sonano fouled out with about three minutes left in the game. So definitely a dominant matchup of bigs, won by Holmes. And Matt Seabree, would you like to talk a little bit about Caitlin Clark, your favorite subject? Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, Caitlin Clark obviously was... There's no question. She was very good that game. Um, she went for how many? 35 points? 35. Is that right? 35 points. Um, definitely. I mean, she she looked like, you know, kind of what everyone expected she was going to do. She was going to dominate the ball, and uh, she was going to put up a lot of points, going to put up a lot of shots. She only went 3 of 11 from deep, um, which is way below her average, but... Uh, still, a couple of those were classic Caitlin Clark pulling up, you know, five feet or more from beyond the arc. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, I mean, she did score 35 points, but 35 points on 28 shots is not an efficient day. Uh, she also had eight turnovers, um, did get 10 assists, but those assists were generally not to Monica Sonano. Wasn't really able to get Sonano involved, which meant IU dominated the paint and... When IU and Mackenzie Holmes can dominate the paint, it's pretty much over for whoever's playing IU, even when they have a, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little more later, but a uh, potential national player of the year, Caitlin Clark, on their team. After being in the building and feeling the tension, I felt like Matt Seabree just with some boiling aggression towards Caitlin Clark. You just, make it sound like I absolutely despise <laughs> Caitlin Clark. Caitlin Clark is a phenomenal basketball player. She is a I want to get that on player. the record. I have a couple problems with what happened in the game and post game. Uh big problem with she got away with some calls where when she does her little sidestep three, especially from thirty feet out, she absolutely kicks her legs out. One hundred percent. And Kay- and Chloe Moore McNeil got called for a foul on the same thing twice, and I just find it ridiculous that there is a there is a video of Caitlin Clark making that same move in the same game when she was open and not as contested, and her leg is visibly sticking out. That has to stop Big Ten refs, gonna Big Ten refs. It's but. yeah. I, I mean, 
She got some calls there. That was a pretty bad officiated game on both sides. Both I think sides. we're all in agreement it's of the, that. It's the Big Ten. Yep. She also easily could have had a flagrant on multiple, multiple yeah. occasions. <laughs> there were, yeah, there were a couple. The one where she pretty much bowled into uh, Chloe Moore McNeil was genuinely just a great pump fake by Chloe Moore McNeil. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caitlin Clark did not at all want to go flying into Chloe Moore McNeil there. She just got juked out of her shoes. And at that point, when you're flying through the air, she turned to Bobby Boucher. (laughs) (laughs) Can't really change directions in there. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, That was also the, uh, I think, highest. We we mentioned, sorry, just you, you mentioned the highest attendance ever at a women's game. I uh, just before we move on from that, I wanted to point out that it was also the most watched women's basketball game ever on Big 10 Network. Mm-hmm. Um 325,000 I think was the I number. I think that's right. I think that's right. Um pretty impressive. Good to see uh the game of women's basketball particularly in the Big 10 looking up. Yeah. Um I mean this isn't like a beef thing but just like Caitlin Clark with like 40 seconds down 11 decided to drive lane twice for layups. So I guess you have to reach a points quota to try to get national player of the year. But <laughs> And then, of course, saying in her post-game press conference that Chloe Moore McNeil did not throw her off for them and that Indiana defense basically didn't contribute anything to why Caitlin Clark played bad, which was not true. Yeah. yeah. Very confident. And she also said she should have shot more than she did down the stretch and she had what, 28 28 shots? attempts 28 shot attempts Caitlin Clark said she should have shot more down the stretch so make of that what you will any anything else on Iowa before we get into Ohio State uh I'll, I'll touch on a little more on uh the Sonano our our wonderful photographer Alex Paul is calling me um <laughs> Yes, the Sonano uh, Clark, or pardon me, the Sonano McKenzie Holmes matchup. We all knew it was going to be, or I thought it was going to be what decided the game. Um, that was a great battle down low, uh, and Mackenzie Holmes. I mean, she fully dominated. One of the best bigs in the Big Ten. Um, it held Sonano to just six points while scoring twenty-eight of her own. Twenty-eight, I think, for Holmes <laughs> against Iowa. Twenty-four. 24, uh, regardless. I mean, just shut down Sonano. And, uh, yeah, as we saw, when when they when Iowa can't work the ball into Sonano, um, they, their offense kind of just stalls. Uh, you know, you don't have to collapse the defense as much into the paint. can stay out on all the shooters uh, outside. And, yeah, just makes it all easier for opposing defenses. And Iowa had beaten Indiana three times last season, including the Big Ten Championship. So that makes that win even sweeter for Indiana. I did just want to touch on, too, of course, Indiana after, well, after, as of today, today is Wednesday, February 15th, Indiana 14-1 and in Big Ten play, Iowa 12-2. and There you go. And then they played Ohio State. On the road, they did, at the Jerome Schottenstein Center in Columbus, Ohio. Known as the shot. Known as the shot. And big win for Indiana, 83-59, to eighth-ranked win of the season for the Hoosiers, which is the most in college hoops, and had a couple of big storylines in that game. Maybe the most important was Sarah Scalia, who, coming off the bench, had 24 
And how many how many made threes? Six. Six, six. of eight. Six of eight. Scalia 20, 24 shot. 24 points off the bench, by the way, most by an IU player since 08 09, I believe. Oh, yeah. Or 09 010. Yeah, one somewhere of those around there. So that was a Over a decade. Indiana high for Scalia, who transferred from Minnesota, and also a career high for Holmes against Ohio State. She had 33 points, 15 of 18 from the field, which is ridiculous. Maybe a national player of the year type performance, which I, IDS I argue for Mackenzie Holmes' case to be in the conversation on idsnews.com. You can read for free. Um, yeah. Anything else you have on Ohio State? No, no. That's do, If you want to go ahead and talk oh. a little bit more about the, uh, the Mackenzie Holmes. Well, I wanted to just, just say... Indiana women's basketball, as a team, shot 75% yeah. in 20 minutes of play. Yeah, that first half was... That was stupid. Yeah. It was... This this team is so good it, at their full potential. They really can beat anyone. If, if a... If, like... I don't know. If a basketball team a college basketball team they could have beat the indiana fever if they put like yes the way they no, were playing. if like if <clears throat> if you were a like a low level college basketball team and you shot 75 percent and a half against a good high school basketball team that would still be considered like oh wow like i get that it's a lower level of competition they're playing but this is still really impressive shooting 75 percent from the field as a team is impressive regardless to do it on the road against the number 13 team in the country in a Big Ten game in February? I mean, that's that's pretty crazy. That's 50, pretty 54 to 29, Unreal. Indiana led in the first half. Unreal. 35 points from Holmes and Scalia. Pretty sure it was the their highest half. scoring uh, first half of the season, too. Just, I mean, it, it, was, it was just a domination from the opening tip. Just really much. not close. And even crazier, Ohio State was 13th in the country, like, they're not a slouch team in the no, Big Ten at all. Like that's no. a legit team. This this team could make a run to the Sweet Sixteen. I mean, Cody McMahon was ridiculous yes. in that game. Yeah, like yeah. Second half, sir. she was just tearing apart Indiana, and then like Ohio State still couldn't do anything about it. No, like even defensively, they'd cut it to what eleven. Sarah Scalia, yeah, it's a three. It's a big part of Matt Seabree's article on Ideas News. Because it was a big moment in the game, and that was just like, oh, you thought you were going to come back? Nope. And then we'll just cruise to a 24-point win. Yeah. it's. I mean, it is really incredible how this team can kind of just seemingly flip a switch. <laughs> also, also, like this was overlooked because of the first half in the offense, but for the second time this season – uh, Indiana held Ohio State to six points in a quarter in the fourth quarter. So there's that defense just coming out, punching you in the face again. Yeah. Let's talk about Mackenzie Holmes. Holmes. Yeah. About um, her national player of the year case, perhaps. Of course. So got some stuff to say about this. <laughs> Nothing against the front runners who are Aaliyah Boston of South Carolina and, of course, Caitlin Clark of Iowa. But we've seen kind of all season a lack of national respect towards not just Mackenzie Holmes, but the Indiana women's basketball team as a whole. They, I think the country's now starting to really wake up to it because you can't really look past them. And it was Well, they're a, number two in the rankings. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you can only read two them. lines before you leave. And they were a consensus <laughs> Final Four pick today in a ESPN prediction story. In so, the... 
in the same story, there is a question posed that says, Aaliyah Boston or Caitlin Clark, player yeah. of the year, with no one else mentioned practically. Mm-hmm. And kind of going off that, there was a tweet from some, some women's basketball account um, that talked about the ratings of the Indiana-Iowa game saying everyone wants to watch Caitlin Clark. Kind of kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And really, I think Holmes is so deserving of being in the National Player of the Year conversation, not just numbers, which she's averaging 22.5 points now, sixth in the country. She has the second-best field goal percentage in the country. She leads the Big Ten in blocks, one of the best defenders in the country, and still somehow being overlooked for National Player of the Year, which Angel Reese also in that conversation might have fallen off a little bit after LSU was completely dominated by South Carolina <laughs> and Aaliyah Boston. But just, yeah, kind of, kind of a mini rant. I think there's no reason Mackenzie Holmes shouldn't be right there with Boston and Clark for National Player of the Year conversation. Yeah, and uh, we saw this. Uh, there was a In the press conference Terry Morin did before the Ohio State game, there was a uh, national reporter there, and he asked, you know, why do you think your team, and he later followed it up, kind of specifically Mackenzie Holmes, haven't been given the uh, haven't been given the recognition they deserve on a national stage? And Terry Morin's response was like, like she was sitting at her computer. She left her computer, went dug around for some papers, uh, and just started reading off Mackenzie Holmes' stats because. Uh, and as you mentioned in your, uh, as you, Matt Press, mentioned in your column on Indiana Daily Student, uh, you know, it's not just her stats. Like, it's the other stuff, too, that, you know, it's beyond the stats. She is, uh, you know, she makes all the plays for the team when they need one. Uh, if they need a bucket, they're putting it into Mackenzie Holmes. It's, it's not just that she's averaging 22 points in a game. She's averaging 22 important points in a game. They're not garbage time stats. And you can't quantify intangibles either, but, I mean, she is the legit leader of that team on and off the floor, vocal leader, and number two team in the country with Final Four potential. I feel like their focal point deserves some more attention than she's been getting. Mackenzie Holmes is, like, the polar opposite of Zach Eady in terms of, like, (laughs) You look at her on the basketball floor, she's like, oh, like she could be a pretty good player. She's got moves for days. Like she's cooking everyone out there. Not just tall. Not no. just tall. Not even that tall for not, not a center. No, in no. There's, I mean, ha- most of the teams she, that she, most of the players she, she's matched up against, she's going against someone her height or maybe even a little taller. And most, yeah, yeah, most likely taller. Um, I was just looking at her field goal percentage. She's, Shooting just a tick under seventy percent, and of the of the top fifty in t- field goal percentage, she is third in field goals attempted too, which is crazy. Also crazy, Maddie Seegers, she's the leading scorer in NCAA right now. She's attempted. Okay, so for reference, Mackenzie Holmes has attempted three hundred thirty-one field goals this season. Maddie Seegers has attempted five hundred twenty-eight. It's yeah. like a hundred more than Caitlin Clark, yes. which is. Impressive. That's hard to do. Yeah, that Villanova team is pretty much Maddie Seacrest. And uh, but she's killing it. I mean, she's good. She too. just dropped she's, fifty. Yeah, so. no, she's like she's good, good. Um, yeah, 
anything else on the Mackenzie Holmes? Uh, just Mackenzie Holmes is a really good player. Like people should appreciate her more in yep. general. People should appreciate in general more than just Aaliyah Boston and Caitlin Clark. Yeah, that's, that's just, kind of the gist, and that could be the fault of just women's basketball media in general because they can be lazy. That's pretty well documented. Yeah, and but, especially like now. You have to get credit to this certain company that starts with an E and ends with SPN. That <laughs> they do the, more. The, the worldwide leader. <laughs> As someone say. Um, they do, like, push the agenda for women's sports and women's college basketball, like, more than most other outlets that I can really think of. But at the same time, they pick their children and they nurture them a lot. Mm-hmm. UConn is one of their children. Caitlin Clark has become one of their children. It's it it is good and bad in the sense that they are pushing the sport, like trying to get it in the spotlight, but they're doing so by just shoving the same three things down your throat the entire time. Yeah, in the past month, I watch a lot of ESPN. I want to. <laughs> I just I'll get that on the record right now. I spend a lot of time with ESPN in the background, uh, on on the screen and. I've seen not just women's college basketball, but I've seen IU women's college basketball on ESPN this month more than I have ever before. Uh, they've mentioned Caitlin Clark every time, even when it's a game that doesn't involve <laughs> Caitlin Clark, and it's just highlights. Uh, it's it's yeah, as you said, the coverage is good. It's it's a it's a sport that desperately needs to be covered more at a national level because there's great talent and great stories here. Uh, but it's just interesting how things work, you know. Media journalism, yeah, it's a fun industry, y'all. <laughs> it is, and we're trying to do our part here. <laughs> read the IDS. Yep. Please read the IDS. <laughs> go get a go get a paper copy. Yeah, right? if you're in journalism. Yeah, if you're in uh, Monroe County, Indiana, pick up a paper Why copy not? of the IDS. Uh, before we start to look ahead for the next couple games, I want to just point out shout out to i don't even remember where on twitter i found this but i found this on twitter also twitter algorithms are stupid i just want to talk about that real quick because i didn't see matt press's column posted until i had to literally look at matt press's yeah no, profile today i, I did this to same. go read it yeah and do better and twitter you i we both read it uh during water in the midwest it was, it was a great read it was a great read the monster from maine made me laugh also did playing into her Mackenzie Holmes being the stereotypical white center. I thought that was I was quite legitimately enjoyable. laughing out loud when the, I read that ESPN scouting report of her. Yes. <laughs> Which um by the way, I can I have the column pulled up right here, just in case anyone wanted to hear more about Mackenzie Holmes National Player of the Year case. Um they cited Mackenzie Holmes as deceptively agile. Which is <laughs> <that's, laughs> what every that's agile white player has been called for the last 50 years. <laughs> Dece- yeah, d- that's one thing. I actually didn't have it up. I was lying about that. So, First um, one and last one out at the gym. You know, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Blue, co- like, blue collar on the yeah, glass. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, hustles up and down the floor. Which, like, it's true, I want to point out, like, all of this is 100% true yeah. about Mackenzie Holmes. It's just funny if you read a lot of scouting reports about players. In basketball. <laughs> Anyways, bball.nut 
bball.notnothing.net backslash Big Ten. It takes you to the site where you can calculate the Big Ten tournament and the seedings based on the remaining results of the next two weeks, week and a half, which is scary. There's one and a half weeks left in the regular season, folks. Um, If you play around with this and everyone wins games. Shout out a, to whoever made this. Shout out to whoever. No really clue who it is, but like solid work. Yeah. If you calculate the games and all the favorites win, and by favorites, I will declare Indiana is a favorite to beat Michigan at home. Indiana is a favorite to beat Purdue at home. That's yeah. That's just Iowa. I will give as the favorite to beat Indiana in Iowa City. Let's just give it to him. You know, we've given him a rough time this year. Calculate those seeds. Indiana is your one seed in the Big Ten women's basketball tournament. Iowa two, Maryland at three, Michigan at four, Illinois five, Purdue six, Ohio State seven is something of note, but. So this would this would make the path, whereas Indiana would play the winner of Nebraska and Michigan State in the quarterfinals. Kind of a tricky first-round game. And then would presumably play Illinois or Michigan in the semis, and then whoever comes out from... Let's call it Iowa for now. Iowa or Maryland. Yeah. So basically, in, in summary of kind of what you just said. Like, IU can wrap up that one seed in the Big Ten tournament. In their next two games. In their next two games, before they even travel to Iowa City. Now, they can't win an outright Big Ten regular season title unless some stuff breaks for Iowa in a certain way. Um, That will probably still be decided in Iowa City, assuming both teams win out until then. Uh, So, yeah, it's... it's, IU's got the inside track uh, to relatively easily yep. uh, end up with the one seed in the Big Ten tournament, which would be, uh, I think they're guaranteed for the one or two seed at this point. So they've already got locked up having the double buy. Um, Even if Iowa beats Maryland. Yeah, I don't. And beats Indiana. I think it would require gonna, IU. The one seed. Yeah, I think it would require IU going like winless these next three games, which is. Indiana, if they win one more, then I think they're good. Okay, yeah. Because so. they. I think they would factor head-to-head first if yeah, it it's is. tied and they beat Maryland, who has three losses. So Yeah. By the way, how IU wins the tiebreaker over Iowa if they end up with the same regular season record? It's because IU lost to Michigan State, which is a worse team than Illinois. It's It's really weird how... Like, a worse loss gets you a better seed. Uh, Or I think it's because they both played Illinois. I don't know. It's It's complicated. It's It's kind of a dumb system, but it it works. Now, the real – we could play hypotheticals all day because it could get real weird if – Well, and there's still – Actually, we can can keep talking. I just want to see what would happen if – Okay, how are we going to do this? Indiana loses to Michigan – Beats Purdue, and then Maryland beats Iowa, and then, right, and then Iowa beats Indiana. We can because then they'd all be at three losses, and I'm just curious what would Indiana's one in that case. Oh my gosh, we are like invincible right now. We can now. play around more with this uh, and talk about it more next week when more stuff is closer to being decided uh, with matchups and whatnot. 
I um, do think Indiana was lucky to not have Maryland again down this stretch because it was already tough enough in the last, like, six games to close the year, and that would have made things much more difficult. Yeah. The ex- Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the explanation is, see, this is a great tool. It gives you the explanation. Indiana, if that happens and they all have three losses, defeated Iowa and Maryland in the round-robin record is 2-1, and one, which there gives them go. the one seed. There you go. Um, all right, speaking of those upcoming games, yeah. do we want to talk about Michigan? Yeah, yes. Let's talk about Michigan. All right. So Indiana and the Michigan Wolverines tomorrow, which is Thursday, February 16th. We are recording this on Wednesday from an absolutely gorgeous Bloomington, Indiana. It's Amazing 65 day. degrees for the first time in months. People are in shorts and T-shirts, and I cannot wait to get outside after we get done recording this. I am in shorts, and it has been a great, great day. So tomorrow night, 8.30 p.m. Assembly Hall, Indiana and Michigan, who right now are fourth in the Big Ten, 10-4. and four. They're on a four-game win streak, though. They've recently beat Minnesota, Illinois, Michigan State, and Nebraska. So not the toughest stretch, but nonetheless, they're rattling off wins, so they've got some momentum right now. Last time out, Indiana on the road beat Michigan 92-83, if my memory that's, serves me that's right. That's the correct score. That is the correct score. 92 points, by the way. Just 92 casual. Points. 92 points on the road in a Big Ten game is no small feat. Which was also courtesy of another big game from Sarah Scalia. She had 19. Holmes did her thing in that game, as she always does. And big rebounding game for Indiana the last time they played Michigan. Led that 41-24 and shot 50% from three on 18 attempts. But Michigan has some scoring firepower of their own. They got hot against Indiana, but not hot enough. They have a good trio and can really make things happen. But they've had, in any other year, Michigan probably would be doing better than they are. But when Indiana and Iowa are this good at the top, it's kind of tough to get around that. Like, you're kinda, especially like, when they lost first rounder Nas Hillman uh, over the summer. That and I mean, you say like they probably would be doing better. They're twenty and five in the twelve <laughs> team in the bad country. Year at all. Speaking of, I did want to like briefly touch on this just a little bit. I was I was just like strolling through. I I think it's it's not indisputable, but like the Big Ten is the best conference in women's basketball right now. They have five He's top 15 teams. It's it's pretty hard to argue anyone else. Uh, Terry Morin's been talking about it all year. And Terry Morin's admitted, like, hey, it's not Big Ten every year. But, but uh, yeah. I, I The the Pac-12 is tough. They have the number three and four teams. But then, sure, but, but then outside of that, they have three other ranked teams, but none of them are even top 15. And then the SEC is obviously South Carolina and LSU. But outside of that... Third is Tennessee. Tennessee, which this Tennessee team, by the way, probably should be ranked, and they're going to probably – my hot take is Tennessee's going to make the Sweet 16, but we'll get into Ooh. that closer oh. to NCAA tournament time. Oh. Um, I just got really excited for bracket predictions. Oh, yeah, we're going to we're gonna have a whole podcast about that oh. where we probably just straight up read our bracket yeah. predictions. Yeah, all for it, 100%. <laughs> but, yeah, Michigan's 25. Uh, when they played IU, Leah Brown had 31. And then, oh, I just had it pulled up. Let's see. Lee Brown had 31. 
Uh, Layla Felia had 21. Emily Kaiser had 15. Those are their three scorers on their team. They're the only ones who average above eight and a half points a game, but they all average uh, 18, 17, and 16. So it it's a healthy scoring option. Uh, again, they're the 12th team in the country. So, like, you can't walk through this game and win, but Indiana has looked pretty much unstoppable at Assembly Hall this year. And, uh, Matt, you had kind of mentioned uh, Sarah Scalia having a bit of a, I don't know if breakout game is the right word, but uh, after the North Carolina game uh, earlier this season and once they got kind of into the Big Ten stretch of games, Sarah Scalia struggled a bit, uh, particularly shooting the ball. And, um, however, in that Michigan game, that first Michigan matchup, she really uh, stepped it up. You know, she helped them uh, get that win. And obviously, um, she had a season, a then season high 19. Um, and obviously, she's now coming off a 24 point performance where she had, you know, she bettered that game even uh, and knocked down six threes. So, I guess my biggest question going into this Michigan game is can Sarah Scalia keep this up? Because if she keeps it up and, and this, you know, what we've seen from her against Michigan and Ohio State is what's going to be her through the Big Ten tournament and through the NCAA tournament, then this Indiana team is even better than, you know, it had been when she was struggling a bit. So that's that's what I'm going to be looking for the most in this game. Yeah, I remember when Indiana played at Michigan – I mean, they had a healthy lead almost the whole game. And then Michigan cut it to six in the fourth. And I distinctly remember Grace Berger back-to-back buckets, as Grace Berger tends to do. She did it against Iowa. Um, I just think, like, that game was an example. The past couple games we've seen, they've taken some punches back. Like, usually, usually Indiana is actually pretty good at jumping out in leads. They don't tend to play from behind. They tend to jump out in front. And they've allowed some some comeback attempts, but they take it and they just push through with it. And I think we the more we see this team do this, like they did against Iowa, um, were they ever really going to blow the lead against Ohio State? Probably not, but against Ohio State, against Michigan earlier this year, it's just a better sign like for this team's future. And like Matt just talked about, about Sarah Scalia, you're – getting these weapons to be more consistent. And if they can show up on a game-to-game basis, it looks really good for the Hoosiers. And also, now that we're kind of at this point of the season, I think it's interesting to point out, Terry Morin's kind of talked about this a little bit, that she's kind of always ran a short bench, but they really don't have a ton of depth that they use, at least. And we're almost at the end of the regular season with the starters playing virtually the entire game, every single game. And to dominate like this is just insane. And I think one of those pieces segue into Chloe Moore McNeil, who we were kind of talking about this earlier before the podcast, might not be getting enough recognition that she deserves because she's a starter and has maybe not the stats of Mackenzie Holmes, Grace Berger, Sydney Parrish, but has really been a phenomenal defender, is a great passer, and she's normally tasked with the other team's number one offensive player. And she's done a 
fantastic job every game, makes smart decisions, and I think her contributions do go way beyond the stat sheet, and she's someone that does deserve more than what she's been given attention-wise. Yeah, uh, I think without a doubt that's true. I think she's probably the most underrated aspect of this Indiana team being number two in the country right now uh, is the contributions she's put in. Um, As you mentioned, her defense is kind of on another level. Uh, She sort of plays almost that Nicole Cardano-Hillary role that uh, IU had her in last year where it's, you know, Whoever their best perimeter player is, that's who you're matched up on. Obviously a little different due to their size. Um, Chloe Moore McNeil is a far longer and just stretchier player than Nicole Cardano Hillary was, obviously at five foot six. Um, but yeah, I mean, even just watching this game, you kind of mentioned the intangibles, uh, because Chloe Moore McNeil doesn't really light it up on the stat sheet most games. Um, but every defensive play down, she is directing traffic. If 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 a player, you know, loses the their guard for a second she's pointing it out in transition she's pointing out where everyone needs to go to mark up to stop a break or whatever um she and then on offense she's doing the same if if there's a player who's not uh you know in the right spot on the floor she will point them out and tell them to you know go to the corner or whatever uh, or go to the wing or run to the post or whatever um and it's i mean it is really impressive how, uh, you know, she just seems to, and she brings the ball up the court. I don't know what percentage of the time, but she's one of the players, <laughs> along with uh, Grace Berger and Yarn Garzone, who frequently bring the ball up the court. And she really seems to see the game at just a different speed than most of the other players around her. I mean, she seems to know where somebody is going to be, you know, right when they should be. Uh, and it's it's really impressive to watch her, and uh, we just I don't think we uh, have really given her her flowers enough this season. And so yeah, just wanted to acknowledge everything, uh, all the impressive plays she's made. Yeah, I wrote about her after the Purdue game, IDSnews.com, of course. Um, I'll just I love statistics, honestly. I love looking at stats. Like I love everything about like finding the craziest nuggets. So yeah, here are just not a, taking stats for journalists. Here are just a few things about Chloe Moore McNeil this season. In eight more games played, she has seven less turnovers than Grace Berger. She has the same amount of turnovers as Sarah Scalia, only eighty-five more assists. She is third in the country an assist-to-turnover ratio at 3.35. Also, shout-out to Colorado State senior guard McKenna Hoffschild. Second in assist-to-turnover ratio, 5'2 guard. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Wait, what? And her volume is higher than Chloe Moore McNeil, so she's just running the show for the the Rams. Colorado State. And the the number one player in assist-to-turnover ratio is, like, at a far less rate than Chloe Moore McNeil so again Chloe Moore McNeil like she's obviously surrounded by a talented team but like she's just so calm so composed she like Matt well you're both Matt like (laughs) I'm sure you both touched on she she guards the best offensive guard in pretty much every single matchup she guarded Caitlin Clark and guarded her well Chloe Moore McNeil is a huge part of this depending on who you ask 
<laughs> if you ask anyone but about Caitlin Clark, then she she played her well and pretty much rattled her. But she's a huge part of this team's success. She's such a smart basketball player. Uh, yeah, she's just a fun, I Matt Seabury I has said on the record he's like she is the most enjoyable player to watch sometimes on the court just because like she's an she's such a good player like yeah in terms of just pure aesthetics as how she just runs the game i mean just she's yeah she is there is very few players to watch that are more enjoyable to me uh just especially the 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 on court kind of coaching stuff that she does where she's you know directing traffic that's that's really impressive to me um so big fan of that watching that and then uh yeah i mean obviously yeah i think it's worked well for her and then we can finish with uh purdue purdue part two purdue part two which chloe moore mcneil had a great game in the of course. first time out against purdue good segue um so purdue which is sunday which will be the 20 february 20th? 19th? 19th? February sure. 19th <laughs> of 2023. And um, also we'll be home at Assembly Hall. And that game has been sold out. That was sold out about a week ago, I think. Yeah. Define sold out. Well, yeah. Uh, the people are asking. <laughs> there's some some controversy with, with the tickets for that game. But... Um, Regardless, should be, should it'll be, be a full crowd. Should be a very that is, that is guaranteed. Very it's full be a crowd, lot of folks there for that rivalry game. And since the last time Indiana played Purdue, the Boilermakers have taken on Rutgers and Northwestern, both wins, and they've kind of come up gradually throughout the year. They're eight and six in Big Ten play, and in the first time Indiana matched up with them. Kind of the big story of the first half, at least, was Mackenzie Holmes, who had two points in the first half, had a really suffocating double team from Purdue, and couldn't really get much going. And Indiana probably had its slowest half offensively of the season, kind of really struggling in that game. But then second half happens, and Indiana runs away with it. They took that game 69-46, Sidney Parrish, and Mackenzie Holmes led the way with 15 points apiece. So kind of, I would imagine Purdue would try something similar against Mackenzie Holmes in this game because it worked so well, at least in the first half. So I would see no reason why they wouldn't have the same strategy on Sunday. Yeah, so I guess that's kind of going off of that. That's really my biggest question going into this game is how does Purdue approach that matchup? Because, I mean, when it only took a half last time for adjustments to be made for Mackenzie Holmes to get involved and uh, get, you know, be a part of the game and make a big impact. Um, I mean, if it only took a half for Terry Morin and her coaching staff to make adjustments for that, I don't really know what Purdue can do to surprise IU. I mean, even if you take that same aggressive strategy where, you're pretty much double-teaming Mackenzie Holmes before she even gets the ball. If IU already knows you're going to do that, it doesn't really help you because, like, Mackenzie Holmes can just pass it out real quickly and break the defense's rotation. Um, so, yeah, that's I'm really interested if they, uh, if they take that same approach, how actually effective is it? 
um, the second time around. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's really what I'm going to be watching for. I really hope this doesn't come back to bite me. Like, I really just want to stress this. I mean, Purdue, like, Purdue's a good team. They, they won at Ohio State. They won at Illinois. They're a projected tournament team right now. This is a Purdue team in the second year with a new head coach, and they're building something. Correct. Like, they're, you just – you only need to listen to their coach talk. Um, uh, Katie Geralds. I don't know why I didn't say her name. Um you only need to hear her talk, and it is very evident Purdue's building something special there. Sorry, I interrupted. They're, like, outside of the top five of the Big Ten who are all top 15 teams in the country, they're in a dogfight with Illinois to be the best team outside of that range. This team cannot beat Indiana. Like, sorry. Not on the road. Nope. You lost at 23. You lost by 23 at Mackey in, like, a sold-out game at Mackey to Indiana. It's... I just can't see a world where it happens unless they do double-team Mac and then Indiana shoots like 15% from three, which it could happen. Sure. I wouldn't bet on it. I would not <laughs> bet on it. So we can we can get to – oh, also, you did write this down. Sydney Parrish with an all-time photo against Purdue at Mackey, shushing the paint crew. Um uh, Sydney Paris, the only actually Indiana player, player from in the state of Indiana on this Hoosiers squad. Um, she obviously was Miss Indiana basketball at Fishers. Uh, has plenty of rivalry experience in the state. Obviously grew up knowing the IU-Purdue rivalry, as everyone in the state who grows up here is very acquainted with, especially in the Indianapolis area. And then she obviously herself played in Many HSC Fishers rivalries for those of you, uh, you know, who really want to represent Northeast Indianapolis. This can't, means nothing I, to the other two people in this room. I can't even. I can't schools. even tell you what HSC stands for. I could, it's Hamilton Southeastern. There you it's, go. It's uh, yeah, Southeastern Hamilton County. It's the Royals versus the Tigers. Great historic, not historic. It's been around for ten years. Great rivalry though in the <laughs> Indianapolis area. Uh, and it'll be a great rivalry, we would assume, this Sunday when uh, in the Indiana I, yeah. State area. For the Barn Burner Trophy. The Barn Burner. It's right in front of my face. <laughs> and a senior day for Indiana as well. Um, something of note that could come out of this game could be an official announcement, or right before this game, could be an official announcement that Mackenzie Holmes will return for her last year of eligibility next season, which is on the table for her. Yes. And we, she has yeah, been on the record to yeah, no say that she will. <laughs> no official word on that yet for this season, but, uh, yeah, everything everything she has said up to this point indicates that she will return. But um, if she did choose to go pro, she probably could. <laughs> That's no it. better time with the drafts for her draft stock than right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so – We'll probably have a clearer picture of that in uh, in about a week. About Next a time week. we talk to yeah, you, yeah. Um, we can just do some quick predictions, you know. Unless anyone else has any other thoughts on Purdue, nope. Uh, I can start. I'll say Indiana goes two zero this week. Oh, hey, hey, okay. So I want I want prediction for the games, but the men's beat. The, the the men's basketball podcast, uh, the Five Banner Banter podcast. Shout well, out Five Banner Banter. Shout out um, 
Jacob, who he asked shout for a out shout Jacob Spudich. <laughs> he asked for a shout out, so we'll give him one. <laughs> Co-editor um, of Matt Presner. Um, but they gave some like fun predictions as well, like a specific player is going to do X, Y, Z. Okay. So, so I'll, I want you to give your prediction for the games, but you also got to give a prediction, a fun prediction too. Okay. I'll say Indiana goes two zero, and I'll say Mackenzie Holmes scores sixty or more points in these two combined games. All right, all right. I okay. thought you were about to say an individual game. I thought you were going to say an individual game too, which I was going to say that would set so many records. Um, Maddie Seagrist, eat your heart Hold on, out. Can you? I just want to imagine a game where Mackenzie Holmes scores sixty points and she's about twenty-eight of. 33 from yeah, the field yeah, it would like, be the most ridiculous thing ever yeah i will i will also say 2 and 0 and i will say grace burger hits a half court buzzer beater <laughs> buzzer burger buzzer burger at oh. some point in either game i don't think we've have we seen a single one from her this season not even an attempt no wow in the last season she hit like 3 of them oh uh, um, the first one at kentucky was awesome yeah or, uh, against kentucky i remember Again, was, there might not be a better player in the country at shooting a half-court yeah. shot nope. right before the quarter ends. And um, no better time than against Purdue. No kidding. Um, is that that's your that's your take? Sounds good. Um, I I'm gonna agree with the both of you. Uh, I think IU's better than this Michigan team, and I think they're better than this Purdue team. Um, maybe Michigan pulls something out, but I I this IU team is just too good. I don't see how they lose to anyone in the Big Ten, but Iowa. Um, your fun prediction? My fun prediction is that Sydney Parrish is going to score thirty points against the Purdue Boilermakers. Oh my wow. goodness! Wow. If Sydney Parrish scores thirty points against Purdue, Purdue will never come back from that. No, no, that would be as long as Sydney Parrish is in Indiana's program, she will own the Purdue Boilermakers <laughs> for the rest of her career. Pretty much. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, so. According to all three of us, the next time we talk, Indiana will be the Big Ten co at least co champions in the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament. We'll find out in the next. I have to do some math here. Four days. Real quick before we go, though. Uh, <laughs> That's hard. Um, <laughs> Purdue has kind of a big break between games. They have a two-week oh, break. I did want to talk about a week-long break. Uh, because their game against Michigan got post Michigan State got postponed. Obviously, the uh, shooting on that campus there feels like we can't really uh, ta- do a Big Ten I, basketball I podcast did, without touching yep, on that. I did want to talk about that. Um, yeah, what happened was just awful. That's yeah. tragic. We, we don't really have any. Uh, we're college students too. Um, yeah, and like trying to even conceive that idea that that could happen to us on any day is just like unfathomable like i i could not imagine going through that experience so so yeah a couple games canceled there yep thinking about michigan state yeah the three lives that were lost yes and uh more five more in critical or five more transported to hospital with injuries um there was great coverage of it done Mm -hmm. by uh the state news for example the student newspaper up at michigan state um as always in situations like that the people with actual boots on the ground who live there on campus 24-7, 24-7, know what's going on. Always support local journalism. And the fact that, I don't know if you saw this, one of the uh, Michigan State students was also a Sandy Hook survivor, oh which God. is yeah. absolutely insane to think about. 
someone surviving two mass shootings. And That's cool. Just insane to think of that happening. Yeah. Sorry for the somber end yeah, of the podcast, it's, it's really but it was that's yeah. but it's, it's we, real life. You yeah. know, we can't always live in basketball world, which yeah. I like to do for most of my time. But yeah, so thoughts thoughts with the the, yep. the the students of Michigan State and the city of East Lansing and all those affected. Absolutely. Until next time, from Payoff Podcast. Yeah.